Welcome to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. We're a church on Sydney's northern beaches, seeing lives transformed by Jesus. We hope you enjoy this message. Hey, well, good morning. Uh, if you don't know who I am, my name's Jonathan. It's great to have you with us. Um, just before we talk about what I was planning to talk about this morning, uh, One of the highest values in the vineyard, of which we are a part, is intimacy in worship. And if you've not known what intimacy in worship is, this morning was a wonderful expression of that. It was just this idea that the Lord, we're ministering to his heart, and in the midst of that, he comes, and by his grace and his kindness and his goodness, he ministers to us. And uh, that was just a beautiful moment, thank you, Chris, of just being in the Lord's presence. And it actually flows really well into what I want to talk about this morning. We're starting a new series, which will span over five teaching weeks. And we're trying something new as a church. We haven't done this before. We're tracking a book, not a book of the Bible, an actual, well, the Bible is an actual book. (laughs) Careful what I say. (laughs) Heresy. Um, uh, (laughs) Oh, dear. Uh, we're tracking a book written by uh, a guy called Tyler Staten, who pastors Bridgetown Church in Portland. Uh, he also runs 24-7 Prayer in the U.S. I don't know him personally, but I've read his book, and I love listening to his stuff. And he's a um, wonderful deep thinker and a wonderful teacher. And his book is essentially about prayer. So it's called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. If you haven't grabbed yourself a copy, uh, they are available at Kurong or Book Depository or Amazon. And Prue has two spare, so hit Prue up if you haven't got a copy. Um, There is also a podcast that Tyler has done interviewing different people around prayer. So if you're not the reading type, that can be some good extended listening. Um, We're not going to be tracking chapter chapter by chapter, but we will be touching on a lot of the themes that he touches on. And uh, this series really is an invitation to trade your conceptions or misconceptions about prayer for prayer in its purest form, which is a vital, sustaining, powerful connection with God that's more real and alive than you could have imagined. And the Lord in this, uh, when I looked at this title, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, the Lord just brought to mind, or I was reminded of, uh, something that John Wimber once said. John Wimber is the founder of the Vineyard Movement. Um, He, in his testimony, Uh, which if you haven't seen or listened to, I'd really recommend you do that. I can send you a link to that. Um, But he he recalls this time when when he came to faith, the Lord brought into his mind a moment when he saw a guy walking down the street street with a sandwich board. And on the front it said, I'm a fool for Christ. And he walked past on the back and said, whose fool are you? And John Wimber at that moment felt like the Lord say to him, I want you to be a fool for me. And essentially, it's this idea that we are aliens, as Christians, we are aliens in a foreign world. We're called to live as part of another kingdom. And at times, the world might think that as foolishness, but actually, it's just obedience in the kingdom of God. And when we think of prayer, prayer is not just five minutes with a coffee in the morning. Prayer is actually a way of life. And prayer, when properly practiced, is the seed from which fruitfulness grows from. So as we kick off this series, I want to start by looking at the posture of prayer. But before we launch in, 
I want you just to take 30 seconds and have a look at some of these words perhaps that I put on the screen. In your current form, what does your prayer life look like? How would you describe it? This is not judgmental, be kind on yourself, but just take a, a bit of a reality check this morning. What does your prayer life look like currently? Is it dynamic? Is it confused? Is it non-existent? Is it growing, defeated, contagious? Just take a look and with Jesus, just reflect what is your prayer life like at the moment? Now, it might be one of those words on the screen or it might be another word that came to mind. Whatever you landed on, just give that to Jesus this morning. Just take a second to do that. You might want to close your eyes. Just give that to Jesus this morning. And ask him over the course of these next few weeks to take you a step deeper in your journey of prayer. And now you can come back to the room. We're going to be chatting about a number of different forms of prayer in this series, and our intention is not to overwhelm you, but rather to give you an invitation to pick something up that resonates with you over these next few weeks and try and adopt it just for two weeks, 14 days in a row. It might be a posture or a practice. Just try and adopt that practice or posture for 14 days in a row and allow that to become part of how you relate to Jesus. As Tyler writes in the book, show up and keep showing up. That's the one non-negotiable when it comes to prayer. So that's our invitation in this series. Out of all the things that disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, they, rec they recorded as asking him to teach them to pray. They didn't ask him to teach them how to heal the sick or drive out demons, although presumably he did do those things. The one thing that they recorded as asking him to teach them is to pray. So we see this in Luke 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he'd finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now I find that interesting because the disciples would have already known how to pray. They were well acquainted with prayer. They would have grown up as good Jewish boys going to synagogue. They would have been adhering probably to set hours of prayer in the day. At least most of them would have. One of them, known as Simon, was so incredibly devout to the Jewish faith that he was actually called a zealot. And zealots got their name because literally they were zealous for the Jewish faith. And they were viewed as terrorists against Rome because of that. But there must have been something that disciples noticed in Jesus' own relationship with his father or in his own prayer life that they realized was different from how they were taught to pray or different from the way that they were already praying. Jesus likely would have honored the common Jewish rhythm of prayer throughout the day, but he would have been praying with perhaps an intimacy or a familiarity with the Father that no one had seen before. His prayers were more like conversations. And when Jesus was teaching his disciples to, to pray, he wasn't teaching them to pray more or to pray harder but to pray differently. And that's part of our prayer for you in this series and for each of us. 
One of the things I think that Jesus models in prayer for us are postures in prayer that are perhaps somewhat foreign to our cultural context. They're both heart postures, they may as well be, they may also be physical postures, but they're postures that we can adopt in our lives. So what are those postures? I think the first posture that Jesus modeled was slowing down. So Luke 5, yet news about him spread all the more. So the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I think this is one of the things the disciples would have noticed about Jesus and his relationship with his father that they didn't have in their own walk. Jesus slowed down. Now, if you're like me, you're tempted to read texts like that and instantly discount it. You know, Jesus wasn't living in the 21st century. He didn't have kids that wake him up before dawn or take an hour to eat their breakfast. He doesn't have an iPhone popping up with emails from work. You know, he wasn't married. So Jesus' model of prayer just isn't practical today. Jesus doesn't realize how busy I am or how important I am, how much stuff depends on me. He doesn't realize how long my to-do list is or how Instagram will collapse if I don't post this next story. (laughs) But to pray like Jesus prayed might seem like an unreasonable expectation in today's age. But before you think that or before you discount it, just think for a moment who it is we're talking about. This man is a man who had mountains of expectation on him, literally messianic expectations. That meant that everyone wanted a little bit of his time. He had death threats on his life. He had people clamoring to have him pray for their kids, to have them over for dinner, to have him over for dinner at their house, to pray for their sick relatives, to heal them of various illnesses. The Jesus that we read about in the gospels wasn't sitting down and hugging lambs on a hillside all day, as much as you're probably like primary school aged Bible might, might suggest so. But it's perhaps because of that, not despite that, that he often withdrew to lonely places. It's because of that, not despite that, that he often withdrew to lonely places. So why don't we? I want to humbly suggest this morning, it's perhaps more than our busyness, it's the reality that for most of us, prayer just doesn't seem to resolve the inner anxiety of our lives. That five minutes on the bus on the way to work just doesn't seem to work. So we fail to prioritize that which is the center of our relationship with the living God. It's time in his presence. And I want to humbly suggest this morning that that problem is not at God's end. So we tend to think that that problem is outside of us. It's our jobs, it's the demand on our time, it's our family commitments, it's our feverish lives. But it's not only until we remove some of those pieces, like we go on a long holiday, for example, that we realize that our inner life is not actually a mirror of our environment. The opposite is true. We create an environment that mirrors our inner life. John Ortberg, he's a leader and a writer. He recalls a time when he called his then mentor, Dallas Willard, you may have heard his name before, he's a favorite of mine, for some advice. And he describes this. He said, I described the pace of my life in my current ministry. The church where I serve tends to move at a fast clip. I told him about the rhythms of my family life or in the van driving, soccer league, piano season, school orientation night years. You might be able to relate. I told him about about the present condition of my heart as best I could discern it. What did I need to do, I asked him, to be spiritually healthy? There was a long pause. 
You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life, he said at last. Okay, I've written that one down. That's a good one. Now what else is there? Another long pause. There is nothing else. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Hurry is simply incompatible with the way of Jesus. I think in most days when I'm rushing and hurrying to get kids out the door, my tone is not one of love, joy, or peace, which is the nucleus that forms Jesus' kingdom. Just ask Tanya. Actually, don't ask Tanya. (laughs) (laughs) The way of Jesus is simply incompatible with hurry as a state of being. And psychologists actually believe now that many of us suffer from something called hurry sickness, which is defined as a behavior pattern characterized by continual rushing and anxiousness or an uncomfortable feeling in which someone feels chronically short of time and so tends to perform every task faster and gets flustered when encountering any kind of delay. Does that sound like you at all? It sounds a lot like me. (laughs) In our age, where hurry is almost an expectation for a successful life, we need to adopt Jesus' strategy. We need to regularly withdraw to lonely places to pray. Intentionally, sacrificially, and repeatedly, we need to set aside large blocks of time to simply be unhurried and unproductive, to just slow down and spend time with our Father. The Bible actually has a word for that. It's called Sabbath, which is a whole 24 hours where we do no work. But this is not a sermon on Sabbath. But we can adopt Sabbath as a posture in our prayer life. Sabbath prayer is about accepting the grace of doing nothing. So often we approach God wanting him to act. You know, I find when I pray, I tend to tell God what he needs to do. Remove this issue heal that person, save my friend. I tend to think I know how the kingdom operates. But Sabbath prayer is about intentionally not bringing a list. It's about not trying to get God to bring you clarity or help, but instead just coming to him who is the source of life. And in doing that, we're learning to stop and just rest in his presence. We're giving the control back to him rather than using prayer as kind of a means to try and get control of a given situation or to get God to do something, we just come and be with Jesus. And that's the first step of how we begin to experience what Jesus called his easy yoke. We just be with God. But to do this, we need actual space. We also need actual space in our schedules. Jesus went somewhere. The word that we often see when Jesus prayed was he went to the wilderness, the Eremos, the lonely place, the desert place. Jesus went to a physical location to pray. And I think that's helpful because it builds a pattern in our minds that when we go to that certain place, we come with a focus that helps the world just stop rushing in. We're coming there to pray. And when I go to a physical place, I have a subconscious mindset that I'm going to meet with Jesus there. I'm going to enter Sabbath prayer. So for you... I could be simply an armchair in a certain living room. I've had seasons where that's been the case. At the moment, it's an armchair in our downstairs room. I've also had seasons where I struggled to sit still for a while, so I started to move my body. I would prayer walk. I've had seasons where I would go to a certain beach and I'd walk the length of the beach or I'd walk a bushwalk. A certain place where my intention was to go and be with Jesus. 
for some of you, it might involve morning coffee. Others might find it helpful to light a candle as a, almost a symbolic way of entering into Sabbath prayer. Whatever it physically looks like for you, I want to suggest it has to involve some kind of silence and stillness. The psalmist writes, be still and know that I am God. The way that that text is phrased in the Hebrew, it's kind of reversed. It's I'm God, and the implication is therefore you are not. Know that and be still. Know that you are not God and be still. The Latin translation for be still is actually vacate, which is where we get the English word vacation from. So the invitation of prayer or of Sabbath prayer in particular is come and take a vacation. Stop playing God for a moment. Remember who God is and therefore who you are. We are not God. He is God. And thank God for that. When we live in a constant state of noise, we forget our mortality. We try and obliterate God's gifts of limits in our lives. But Sabbath prayer and stillness and quiet helps us just release control back to Him. We can return to what is the intended creative order of things from Genesis 1, where we're allowed to just rest because God holds our lives. And in a world of noise and hurry, stillness, silence and solitude, they can act like healing balms for our souls. We actually need that. Now really practically, if this is new to you, the suggestion of Tyler and my suggestion to you would be don't shoot for an hour. If you're anything like me, I've just been on like a no sugar diet. I'm like, I'm no sugar, I'm out 100%. And then two weeks later, I'm like, I really need some pancakes with some maple syrup. (laughs) Don't shoot for an hour in your prayer life, if this is new to you. Start for two minutes, just two minutes of stillness and silence. And it might be helpful to even set an alarm on your phone so that you're not like, is two minutes up yet? It actually pings, oh, you've done two minutes, great. And after two weeks of doing two minutes, jump it to four minutes, then jump it to eight minutes until you can slowly build a block of time in your life where you are just still in the presence of Jesus. The temptation when we start a new posture or a new prayer practice is to try and evaluate it like three days in. The idea of Sabbath prayer is that you don't evaluate it. Resist the urge to evaluate this posture. Simply trust that the practice of Jesus and the practice of his followers for centuries might also have a place in your life. Practice it, if nothing else, than a sacrificial offering of yourself to God. Give God the first word and let spoken word follow after that as a response rather than the initiation. The second posture that I want to touch on really quickly and then we're actually going to pray is really an extension of this first one of Sabbath prayer. And it's the idea of placing yourself in the middle voice. What does that mean? Well, it's a concept that's well articulated by a guy called Eugene Peterson. You might know him as the author of the message version of the Bible. Tanya and I have a constant debate. Is it a translation or a paraphrase? It doesn't really matter. (laughs) Um, He writes this in a book called The Contemplative Pastor. The assumption of spirituality is always that God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. 
Many of us are really familiar with active prayer, this idea that we cry out to God, usually with really good motives, and we try and get him to move in a particular situation. We try and usher in an action of the Almighty. And then some of us might be familiar with really passive prayer, this idea of just letting God be God and letting ourselves just be, where we don't ask anything. We just try and reach a state of peace with things the way that they are. Sabbath prayer can sometimes get confused with passive prayer, but it's actually not. In literature, if you're the active voice, you're the one who is actioning something. And if you're the passive voice, you're the one who is simply being acted upon and you have no control. But neither active prayer nor passive prayer is how Jesus postured himself in prayer. In Christian prayer, model on Jesus, we are not the active initiator. We're not using chants or rituals to try and get God to do something, manipulate him into action. We're also not being manipulated by God, passively just something, something back into a chair and saying, oh, whatever will be, will be. In the middle voice, we both act and are acted upon at the same time. So in the middle voice, the subject, which is us, we are an active participant. The action doesn't start with us, but we join in the action of another, which is God. So we neither do it nor have it done to us. We participate in what is willed. God has chosen to act almost exclusively in partnership with people. So the assumption when we come to prayer is that God's action has always preceded my request. The aim is therefore not to get God in on what I think he should be doing, but instead the aim of prayer is to get us involved in what God is doing. And as I said before, the process inevitably involves regularly withdrawing to lonely places to pray, just to be with God give our concerns over to him so that we can hear his concerns, so that we can become aware of what he's doing and then we can join in on that. Mary is a great example in the New Testament of someone who prayed in the middle voice. So when the angel told her that she is to bear the Messiah into the world, her response is this, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered, let your word to me be fulfilled. So it's consenting participation in what God is doing. And I'm challenging myself here, but do you know the life of consenting participation? As your lack of control of your life and outcomes becomes more apparent, are you filled with anxiety and actively pray to God to deliver you from circumstances? Or are you learning to give the illusion of control back to Jesus and allowing his will to mold your circumstances through participation in what he's doing. Through Sabbath prayer, it's a practice of learning to posture ourselves in that middle voice and ultimately, ultimately to kind of echo Mary and say, I am the Lord's servant and that is enough for me. So to finish, I actually want to practice this together. We're not going to do prayer ministry per se in the way that we usually do or often do on a Sunday, we're going to actually place ourselves in the middle voice of prayer just between you and Jesus. Is that okay? So whatever you want to do this morning, however you feel comfortable, you might want to just stretch for a moment because I've been talking for a bit, but posture yourselves physically in a way that is open to what God might want to do. So you might want to put your hands out before him, put your feet firmly on the ground so you're in a comfortable position. 
You might want to open your hands on your lap. And now just breathe deeply three times. Just in your nose and out your mouth. You might even want to become aware of your breathing pattern. And now we're going to pray something which the Desert Fathers called a breath prayer. So as you breathe in, you might just want to pray, come Holy Spirit. As you breathe in, come Holy Spirit. Just in this moment, become aware of his presence with you. Just enjoy being with Jesus in this moment. This is about giving something of yourself to God, not getting something from him. Just enjoy being with him. Come Holy Spirit. And now we're just going to pray that prayer of, Ma of Mary. I am the Lord's servant. So it says you breathe in, just say that to God in your heart, in your mind. I am the Lord's servant. And just reflect on that. You are the Lord's servant. You belong to the King of Kings. You serve in the unshakable kingdom. Just allow that identity this morning to be enough for you. Allow all your other life roles to become subjected to that, that you are the Lord's servant. place that as your identity again this morning. And now we're just going to pray the second part of Mary's prayer. Let your word to me be fulfilled. 
So observe the circumstances that you currently find yourself in, particularly those that you might want to make adjustments to. And remember this morning that God is here with you in this moment and also in those circumstances and he's already working. You might just want to take a moment to ask him to show you just in your mind's eye where he is at work in your life and in particular in your inner life. Now, as part of that, you may recognize the Spirit's inviting you to act or to partner with Him in a specific way. So if you sense that He's asking you to do something Just in this moment, commit with him to following through. Commit to going or to forgiving or to slowing down or to resting or to hoping. And just to finish, thank him for being with you in every circumstance. been listening to the Centerpoint Vineyard Podcast. To connect with us, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or by visiting our website, www.centerpointvineyard.org. The theme song for this podcast is Highest Praise by Kieran Delahart. So we see-